Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 24 Bureaucracy 15th to the 18th of September 1977 Afghanistan The Iranian Afghanistan frontier was ahead of us, and there was no knowing what challenges we'd encounter in the coming days. Leaving Iran was straightforward, no search by the customs officials, and our passports were stamped to say we had exited the country. As we drove across no man's land, we saw the border post of Afghanistan ahead, a few simple mud huts. What a crazy border, full of hippies on the hash trail. An Afghani official in blue overalls checked over our vehicle. Unfortunately, we didn't have to remove everything. Apparently, we would have that to look forward to on departing the country. Not too much hassle, just slow formalities that included our vaccination records being checked. It was late afternoon as we drove away through lovely countryside, along a straight road for a while, then it twisted and turned between little brown hills, past domed mud hut villages. Nomads in their black tents were way off in the distance, with their herds of one-humped camels, already settled for the night. Eventually we arrived at the oldie-worldie city of Herat, and drove to the main hotel. There were a few guests, mainly overlanders camped around the back. We introduced ourselves to Simon and Rose from England, travelling in their short wheelbase Cream Land Rover. We also met Jean-Luc and Martine, a Swiss couple with a six-cylinder, long wheelbase, green and cream Land Rover. Our conversation was brief as it was getting dark and we needed to prepare for bed. We were so eager to be out and about that first morning, exploring Herat a fascinating city of mud dwellings with a few modern buildings, including two-storey structures along the main street. The back streets had earthen roads. There were only a few cars around, as transport was predominantly horse-drawn gigs. Many of the horses were in fine condition, striding out, heads raised proudly, with decorative red pom-poms bobbing up and down on their bridles. Black and white Toyota taxis ferried their customers to and fro. The merchandise trucks with wooden slatted rear cargo bays were brightly painted. Tinsel beads and trinkets hung inside the driver's cabs and the dashboards were bedecked with luxurious ruby red or royal purple velvet. The men about town were dressed in long-sleeved, loose thigh-length shirts with baggy trousers that were cuffed at the ankles. Many wore dark waistcoats or jackets and embroidered pillbox hats or turbans. Most were wearing plastic shoes. Just a few had leather footwear. The boys were dressed in a similar way. The women had on wide baggy trousers and were totally covered from head to toe with full burkas made from pleated silky cloth in dull colours of dark blue, maroon, dark green or brown. A skull cap was incorporated within the design and a crocheted grill visor for the lady to peer out on the world. Little girls were clad in matching dresses and trousers with headscarves covering their hair. It was Friday, 
the Muslim holy day, so very few shops were open. We couldn't even window shop, as every shop had its merchandise behind padlocked, heavy wooden shutters. At one place that was open, we stopped to buy biscuits to snack on, and a 14-year-old lad bade us follow him. He took us to his father's shop, where ethnic silk embroidered shirts and dresses were for sale. Next we passed by a tea room. Men sat on a high, large platform made of mud and covered with hand-woven wool carpets. Tea was brewed in two big copper urns with taps on and poured into small tea glasses. The tea room was the local men's domain where they put the world to rights. We walked by the city castle, which was originally built for Alexander the Great in 330 BC. It has had a few different owners and facelifts over the centuries. Apparently there used to be 12 minarets standing in Herat until the Russians knocked seven down according to two teenagers we came across as we went to view the remaining five. We walked through the street together with the boys who were keen to practice their English. The older boy pushed his bike along as he shared with us his aspirations to train to be a doctor one day. We went back to the Land Rover and then returned to the hotel, where Alec was soon engaged in resolving various mechanical issues of other owners' vehicles. I enjoyed a chance to relax and drink mint tea with a few travellers before I fixed our supper of spaghetti and sauce. It was a pleasant evening as we sat outside together with the occupants of the two nearby Land Rovers to discuss the route ahead. See here on the map, the main surfaced roads go in a diamond shape, Jean-Luc pointed out. You can drive from Herat north to Mazar Sharif to Kabul or from Herat south to Kandahar and then up to Kabul. So which direction are you going? asked Alec. Neither, Jean-Luc smiled with a glint in his eye. We're going this way, straight across from the Hindu Kush, from Herat to Kabul. Really? And what about you, Simon? Too damn right. We're driving the central route too. After all, that's what Land Rovers are built for. It's cross-country all the way. But don't forget to mention the military orders, chipped in Martine. Oh, and what are they? I asked. No one is allowed to drive alone. You have to travel in convoy, Jean-Luc replied. Does that mean with an army vehicle too, asked Rose? No, that's not necessary. We can just team up with one another, Simon clarified. Well, you all seem to have it worked out. Can we drive along with you too? asked Alec. Oui, oui, bien sûr, Jean-Luc readily agreed, as they all did. Tomorrow we'll apply for the official papers to authorise our crossing. Yes, we'd better get to bed, as we should be at the police station by eight in the morning, Simon said, folding up his stool. Good night, said Rose. Bonne nuit. Our replies faded into the night air as we dispersed to our own Land Rovers. Well, I didn't realise that Afghanistan was going to be like this, I said to Alec as we snuggled close together in bed. No, I haven't researched much on travelling in this part of the world. I guess we were focused on Africa, what with the Sahara crossing and all. Jean-Luc sounds well-read on this country, so it's great that they're up for us to go along with them. I said, quite unaware of what we were letting ourselves in for. Night-night, darling. Sweet dreams, my love. The six of us, Simon, Rose, Jean-Luc, Martine, Alec and I, 
were at the police station promptly at 8 the next morning. We acquired the official travel documents and were told we needed two stamps. The police gave the first stamp of approval to go across the central route, but we then needed an official stamp from the tourist office. It's not possible to stamp these forms, the tourist official handed them back. Why ever not? Simon demanded. The police stamped them without a problem. Well, there have been reports that the road is blocked. Blocked by what? An irritated Simon replied. That we do not know, but you can come back at two this afternoon. Disappointed, we all walked out of the clerk's office and split up to do our own thing. Alec and I went to the bank and found it closed, so no money until the following day. We managed to change a $10 American bill in a shop, then explored more of the town, munching on sugared almonds, a local sweet treat that I brought from a roadside store. I noticed that milk, eggs and yoghurt were available at the Harat Dairy. Watermelons were on sale in abundance. You could buy a whole one or just a slice or two. The sweet coral pink flesh in the open melons provided a welcome playground for the local flies. Having seen that Simon and Rose were growing bean sprouts in a small plastic box in their Land Rover, we bought a kilo of mung beans to have a go at producing fresh veg. It was a hot day, and so feeling thirsty, we searched for a tea room. But our next stop was at a shop selling rice displayed in big sacks with rolled down tops. The owner offered us a glass of tea. Smart salesman, as after being refreshed, we readily bought a couple of pounds of rice. Further along the street, we were invited into an industrial workshop and we stayed for over an hour. They were making scissors and small knives for carpet looms. The raw materials were old car springs. One of the men held a spring with long tongs in a bed of smouldering charcoal embers that heated and softened the iron. His clothes were peppered with tiny holes burnt by the sparks that flew out of the hot fire. Another man, a young teenage lad, sharpened scissors on a revolving stone wheel. They gave us each a stool to sit on and were eager to know the English names for their tools and other things in the workshop. Alec drew pictures of the items on a piece of paper and wrote the English names alongside, saying out loud the word as he completed each drawing. The air was hot and smelt of sweaty men and smoke. Tea was brewed and shared around. When it was time to take our leave, we asked the price of a small carpet knife, but the men insisted we had it as a gift. I gave the lad the remaining sugared almonds as a gesture of thanks for their kindness. At the baker's, the unleavened bread was baked in an earthen pit in the ground with a fire burning at the base. The thin, pliable length of dough was thrown into the pit and it clung to the side of the hot walls. Shortly afterwards, the crisp strip of baked bread was removed with a long-handled, wide-pronged metal fork and tossed onto the wooden ledge before us. I juggled the hot, thin bread from palm to palm until it had cooled down as we wandered back to our parched Land Rover. We found Jean-Luc and Martin's vehicle close by. It was two o'clock and they'd just been back to the tourist office. They were told to return again at five. So Alec and I went and explored the old city and we delighted to find it crammed with open shops selling saddles, harnesses, metal boxes, rifles, bullets, carpets, fruit, food, fabrics and clothes, including ladies' burkas.
After an afternoon soaking up the sights, sounds and aromas, we returned to the tourist office only to be told to come back again in the morning. We were not amused. Back at the hotel car park, Alec changed the gear oil in the overdrive. He found he was unable to change the rear differential as the head of the drain plug had smashed off, leaving the actual plug still in situ. We were in bed by ten, both eager to see what the next day would bring. Waking early, we washed, dressed and ate breakfast, then prayed and did our daily Bible study. Everyone else on the campsite was still in the land of Nod. By eight, we were chumping at the bit as we drove into town. First, we went to the bank where we waited for one hour and 40 minutes for the bank to change our travellers' checks. Alec then went into the tourist office and came out smiling, waving the stamped official travel permit. The other four had yet to collect theirs, so we ventured off to buy a few more supplies for the journey ahead. We also called in to see the police to ask about the road situation and there was no mention of any roadblock, so we could leave any time. Returning to the hotel, I made a vegetable pizza for lunch. Simon and Rose came back also, having collected their completed permission paper. Unfortunately, we four were left hanging around the campsite for the rest of the day, waiting for Jean-Luc and Martin. They had misunderstood that we had planned to be on the road that afternoon and didn't arrive back from town until early evening. Oh well, rather a wasted day, but with our travel documents in hand, we could all leave in convoy first thing the following day. Total distance driven... 24,888 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.